Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, welcome. It's Sunday Sessions, 31st of January, 2021. It's St. Bridget's Eve. Thank you again for joining me with our weekly time of exploring nature-centered folklore, connecting this to your favorite sanctuary space, and expressing inspired visions from your sanctuary through your poetry, writing, art, craft, performance, and problem solving. And isn't that list very bridged, which we're going to be talking about? Well, today's Sunday session, as you probably know, uh, it's actually going to be in two parts. Uh, there's going to be uh, Bridget's uh, traditions and stories today. And uh, let's get something up to remind you uh, some symbolism of that. And we're going to be exploring the story of the woman that became known as St. Bridget of Kildare. And we're going to be uh, looking at some places around Ireland associated with the story, from a birth to the eventual Kildare Monastery. And we're going to be looking at Bridget's crafts. Uh, I think that's pretty neat, the, uh, uh, the, the cloak and the symbols that we associate with Bridget. And there we go, some cross-making going on there. And talking of uh, Imbolc, the second part, which is going to be next Sunday, is going to be the Imbolc traditions and stories. And if you were hoping for some uh, Bridget Goddess stuff today, that's really mainly going to be for next Sunday. And uh, there's a little bit of the comparison there. And uh, as I, I'm actually finding going to find this whole show is going to be quite, there's a lot of content, just a look at Bridget of uh, Kildara. And uh, there she is. If you've been to the well, you'll be familiar with that one. And then next Sunday, we will share a strong focus on the holy wells, the natural springs, water folklore. We've got some fabulous guests uh, next week as well. Uh, but look forward to this week because we've got some great stuff. Uh, I wish I could have included the Bridget Cross and Doll making today uh that would have uh, been fabulous i've got some great pictures of our past ones i don't make mine until on uh, wednesday 2 30. Uh, i think it's my astrology habit uh, i go with a sidereal time and the point of inbolt is 2 30 on wednesday afternoon so uh here we go this is uh, some sessions funnily enough this was hosted by bridget uh, uh she does each year but obviously can't do it this year and uh, there's some dollies there which was great and there's some people that were here uh, this is now a labyrinth but before it was a labyrinth we had the tall rushes and people coming here to uh, gather their uh, rushes and they're going to go indoors somewhere and make up their crosses and I think I showed a picture of their work a little earlier so uh, I, yeah, I wish I could do it um, also, uh, as far as doing the crosses go, I don't have the cameras, mics, and mixer to set that up very well. And that's more of a Zoom subject, I think. Uh, there's some terrific uh, YouTube tutorials, if you know any. Try and put some links up in the comments. And um, if not, I'll try and put some up after the show. And uh, But there's some great ones. They just keep getting uh, better every year. But as I say, uh, Today is much more focused towards uh, Bridget and her eternal flame and the hearth of Bridget. 
and uh, there's there's Mary there at um, of the Brigadines, uh, Mary Minahan, and uh, I love this picture to give a reminder of a hearth. So for this, I'm going to start with the background uh, to a name. Um, but first, um, we got some guests. Let's introduce you to the guests that are coming up. We got Bayer uh, Salmon Hawk. Uh, she's going to be assisting us with a lovely story that helps us with a transition from the Brigid, Bridget and the flame of the hearth into the temperance water focus that uh, I'm going to be sharing with you. We're going to be sharing with you next week with the guests. And uh, then. Um, There's uh, Clairo, she's going to be here, and I did have a picture of her. That seems to have vanished. Uh, I'll give a quick flash. She's in the, uh, there she is. She's uh, in the, she's fiddling around with the camera. She's in the green room there. So Clairo, she's on a bit later, and she'll be performing the central traditional song for today, reminding us that this is a reverence day of and for all women, as well as the birth of spring. And there's no panel session today due to loads of content to share with you. But we got these two lovely guests, and uh, the panel will be back next Sunday. And uh, people have been telling me I should be telling about the Patreon right up front. So here you go. This show is brought to you by uh, and helped along by the people who sponsor us on uh, Patreon. And some of you are subscribers already. That's what funds the subscriptions and helps to keep this going, and the Labyrinth Gardens as well. So anyway, bringing that up front today. Uh, let's see who we got. There's some of you here. Let's have a chat to see before we get on with the real bit of the show. Uh, Shane, lovely to be here from Sussex. And yes, it is. I think it's lovely here. And uh, we got Sharon May Nickel. Good morning. Donna, uh, a regular, fantastic from New Mexico. Always gets up early in the morning on a Sunday. And... And we got Shell, another regular. Good morning to you. And Bayer, our uh, lovely guest. Yes, she's in the green room there. And she's appeared, the storyteller. Hello, Bayer. And, and Kimberly um, from, uh, from very chilly Boston. And uh, good morning to you. Uh, fabulous to see you all here. Lovely. And thank you for being here because this is going to be probably a fairly longish uh, one. Uh, first about... Uh, breeder's name there's some variations on the, uh, the breeder name uh, you've got breed brig bridget bridgel bridge uh just to name a few of them i, th I got something on the banner uh, of some list of names maybe you can add to this put them in the comments they're the ones that came to my head a, a few moments ago so what does the name mean there's several interpretations of this and you may be able to add some more in the comments as well. I've heard people say that uh, breeder means from dark to light, uh, eternal flame. Uh, I've got something on that to uh, bring that up. There we go. There's a bit of an eternal flame there. And uh, there's a lovely new book called The Way of the Shabin by Amantha Murphy and Orla O'Connell. And I gather probably some of you have already got that and are reading it or it's on the way to you uh, in the USA. Um, if you haven't seen it, here's the cover. Ask in the comments if you want details because I, I hope Amantha's going to actually be with us next Sunday uh, and we'll talk about this a little bit, which is will be fantastic. 
And to um, give us another interpretation of Bridget, uh, this is what Amantha does in the book, as I find fascinating. Um, is she talks about uh, Bridget as being the bridge between the ancient and the new, the pagan to Christian. Now, thinking of what I was talking about last Sunday, about coincidences in names, it would not surprise me if someone actually placed the word bridge into the ancient interpretation, and they came up with a kind of a fusion word, Bridget. Uh, but what I've been told, though, from some storytellers is somehow all of these uh, Breeder and Bridget variant names come from something like Brianna Syed, and there's different spellings. Unfortunately, I didn't have time to put them all up, but uh, here... Here is what I've got. Uh, some people put T on the end, and uh, you might know some. So put the extra spellings if you know them. That's the one I could put up for now, and that's the one I've been working with. But that, it's amazing how many different spellings there are of that. And it's translated by scribes, that word, uh, that phrase, because the old language, the old uh, Gaelic, Gaelic, uh, they didn't, talk about things, and we talk, I mentioned this on Sunday sessions several times, that we have a concept that words have to be about things, and if things don't exist, if there is, if you can't put a thing name to something, it just doesn't exist, we've got to that mentality, whereas with the old Gaelic and Gaelic, it was all about conditions, what was going on, because they really didn't have much of a concept of things, so there we have, it's a description of the glowing or the flaming arrow, so this is thought to be the description of lightning and what happens when there's lightning because there wasn't an ancient Gale word for lightning. And from this translation, there'll be connection to the oaks as well as flames. And I'm going to be talking about that later, uh, shortly and uh, about the hearth as well. There's a lot to share today. So I'll try not to hang on to any of the breeder bridged subjects for too long this afternoon. But you know how I get carried away sometimes. But I'm eager to get to the deeper stuff uh, and put that into the course that the uh, Patreon subscribers will be getting because there's so much with this. Uh, I really had to cut a lot out for today. So let's get on with a quickish bio of Breeder, starting with a beautiful fort in North uh, Louth, uh, very close to the Northern Ireland border. And uh, I, I sh let's get some pictures up. Uh, I've lost most of my pictures for there, but... Uh, Let's give you a reminder. This is um, an altar that they have there. And there's a beautiful little park around that. It's, uh, lovely for walks. I haven't been there for years. But um, this uh, got Marian figures and so forth. I find it a very pleasant place to go, very uh, relaxing. And then not so easy to find, really, is the well. It's sort of hit, uh, cluttered between some lovely little uh, yew trees. You, I first time I went there, I think I walked around the cemetery three times. But it's lovely. You walk down some steps and get into it. So that's the well uh, at a birthplace. But here's some of the characters that's in that Breeders Bridget story uh, at her birth. There's a processor, if that's how to pronounce, Processor, Processor, Bridget's mother, and who's said to have been not far away from here, Macara uh, Crory, and not far from here is Lord Gara. And she's said to be born from there. And it's very close to Lisselock. And some of you watching have been here and you've stayed um, at, with Maria and Joe at Lisselock. And uh, that's very close to where Bacessa was uh, born. And it's the next townland, in fact, Killerack. And uh, it's 
some of you might have gone to the Lock Garris stables and adventure school there. That's actually in the Kilorak uh, townland. And um, Maria and Joe, they go to the church at Kilorak as well. And I said that um, Rakesa was educated by a woman. This was called a tractor, but that's the Latin name. Uh, Adrach, um, I think I've got, got something. I'll bring you up a spelling of that shortly. And... This was not the attractor that became Sunt attractor. That was her, she came about a hundred years later. Let's see if I can get you a wee spelling off of the banner so you can see what I'm talking about in case you're taking notes for. Um, that's interesting. We're coming up with a father soon. That, this is this is what I'm talking about. There you go. The two spellings: the attractor, the Latin attract. Well, that's somehow perhaps taken from the Latin to the. Uh, Irish, or maybe it was the other way around. I never know which way they do this, because uh, Latin absorbed uh, the cultures of wherever it spread. Well, any language does that, doesn't it? Uh, so I think it's worth reminding the names back in medieval times. This is early medieval times. And before, we're not like today. We have a name, we get born, we get birth certificate, we're registered. And... Uh, in templated folklore myth stories, like the breeder stories that are told, they often approach these ancient names as if they were setting stone, as if they had birth certificates and they were registered. I suppose some names might have been put into stone, but when that's done, it's several hundred years after their death, not during the time when they were living. So it seems that ancient names were eventually given to people by their community. It isn't something they were, say, crescent with, not at this time anyway. It was names the community gave people to describe who they were and what they do, an attractor. Uh, we have the word attractive. It's very similar. She is, was supposed to be a very good-looking woman, a very healthy, very good-looking, fair woman. And sometimes uh, when a woman or man gets a name, it becomes like a title that's passed on to the next person who then takes on the same living role. So it's very unlikely the breeder Bridget was called Bridget when she was born in Ford. And I've got a very interesting twist to tell you about that um, towards the end, actually, uh, why I think she may have been called. Anyway, it might be there were several Bridgets killed there eventually, and, you know, I think there might have even been several Patricks as well. I think these were titles myself. Uh, I've got something to show up about that. There's, there's a reminder here. Oh, there we go. Um, I don't know. This is, well, okay. That's pretty good of Bridget. I don't know why I asked to bring that one up, but there we go. Uh, that's the, uh, well, that's, a, that's quite a lively ancient type of picture, isn't it? So, uh, right. Some say, there were, thinking about that, the names, you know, several Patrick, several Bridges, some say there was actually a few Jesuses around at his time. And uh, I've picked up a couple of stories of these, and one even said that one of the Jesuses actually died falling off a horse, not a donkey. So one modern example as well is even the UK royalty. The male kings often have their names changed to George at coronation time. In previous Sunday sessions, I've kind of given an insight into that, but I won't spend time on that now. But now I'm wandering away and I, about the story of Brookcressa, who was educated by a tractor or a truck, a truck, a truck. Uh, 
So education would have been, in those days, it wouldn't have been English, math, science, and so forth. It would have been more about hospitality, housekeeping, attending to farm crops, knowing how to grow things, attending to animals. And even Catholic and other Christian-motivated texts, Professor and her eventual daughter, Bridget, are described as slaves. Now, this translation of this story is another situation where I believe we need to move away from interpreting ancient ways based on our modern visions of living that we are today. There are so many storytellers that seem to describe things of the past, referring to what's around them today. That can be useful when the story is actually there to help people in today's situations. But I think today, and the way I think, I like to try and visualize myself back in the space, look around and think, what was going on around here? And slavery way back then was usually a lot more different, what we, if you can call it slavery, very different to the vision we have of like the trading of unfortunate black people, Irish and other slaves from a few hundred years ago. And during medieval times, very few people carried and traded with coin currency. So this is the first thing to think about. There was no administrative banks, no checkbooks, no wages, no payrolls, etc. So to earn food from the land, a home for shelter, maybe a horse to travel, even some shoes to transport around, some medical care that they had at the time, they all had to be established and acquired in different ways. And as there was no system of wages and salaries then, um, until later medieval times, even beyond then, one system for earning this living, getting your living basics, was a thing called bonding. We still have bonding today, really. Uh, a place of education, uh, which was really an apprenticeship, would lease out a student for something in return to support the education facility. So uh, send out a student to get food supplies back from the student's work, that kind of thing. So a student or apprentice would be under contract to serve work using the training skills that they got from, uh, from their school. And they also get a personal return of food, shelter, health care, and leisure time. And that still happens today, even in Ireland. There are legal agencies, verge of legal, that take on trained people from Eastern Europe, and they put them in work placement, usually in hospitality, digital software services, and agriculture. We know the agriculture one. The Irish employer then pays a fee to the agency, and some of that fee is passed on to the Eastern European educator. And the Irish employer usually provides initial accommodation, often food, some food, and a small income for the basic needs. Uh, because it's spending money, because the rest is covered. Uh, it's fringe of the law and human rights, I know. But it happens, and I've seen similar operating when I lived in the USA, especially in agriculture. It happens in China, Russia, and Africa. Anyway, back to these ancient ways, before there were wages. Sometimes these bonded people were called hostages, but not in the corruption way that uh, we might imagine. This was a kind of a peace offering that was exchanged. It was a way of uniting tribes, bringing a connection, and giving a smoother trading uh, better. So Bacchessa, in a roundabout way, I'm telling you, Bridget's mother was what we know now as a bondswoman. And uh, she was a bondswoman to a man called... Uh, uh, yeah, Duffy, Duffy, who was our next character in the um, 
Westbridge's father, I'm going to get you the spelling up for that. Give me a second. There he is to explain that. And there's the mother and there's the father. Now, Bacchus's uh, rights under this growing conversion to a patriarchal justice, Christian ways that were creeping in were very different to the Breton law ways, which were still there uh, in rural ways. In, with Breton law, if a woman got married or got into a working partnership, she could own land, she could sue the spouse or partner for mistreatment or unfairness, get divorced or break the partnership contracts through retribution. But uh, now a bit about uh, uh, Dubuck, about who was to become uh, Bridget's father. Now, some story descriptions, the template stories tend to tell him as being a pagan druid, and the Bacchessa was a Christian bondswoman that, be, that he had contracted. So let me clear this one up a little bit. For a start, uh, Dovik was a very common name for the people applied to men at that time, especially up there in the northeast of Ireland, uh, or Erin, maybe it was then. And today, as I mentioned, popped out a little earlier, the Dovik has become Doffy. Uh, Doffy today is from that name. And the meaning of that is dark and perhaps moody man. And of course, in late medieval and beyond, through Christian eyes, Druids were eventually considered as dark, deceitful men. But the meaning of uh, Doek could actually mean it was, it was good with the land. And I talk about this in other Sunday sessions, about the importance of relating to the underground in the land. So he could have been a good forester, a very good land worker, got very good yields, grew plenty of crops. And his name could relate to his understanding of soil and growing. Now, with these abilities, it would raise him up into leadership and wealth. And with that position, he could afford bonded workers because uh, he, he could pay the Jews. But this Dovak was married and was a bit of a lad with his bondswomen. And one of them got pregnant, Brakessa. So let's look at Brakessa in the way she's described as a Christian bondswoman. Again, I feel we need to get away from our modern thinking and visualize what was going on. Christianity as an order, as a doctrine, at this time, 453, isn't it, was far from being established in Erin, 453 AD. The commanding Christian order did not really happen until the late medieval Rome onwards. So all that was happening at this time seemed to be the starting of scribing. Uh, and the scribing was of Middle Eastern gospels and psalm books sharing the stories from them in the language of the people, the Gaelic, the Gaelic, the old Gaelic, uh, old, old Irish, as some people say, as well as duplicating the Latin, because there were new elite scholars that were learning Latin at this time. And Latin was starting to become the language of trade, international trade especially, uh, which was really kicking off. And even the pirates learned Latin. <laughs> uh, Anyway, these scribe books, uh, right through to medieval centuries, also inspired a different way of living, land management and economy, very different, as I say, to the Brown Law time, hence being the start of the new era that was starting up of monastic communities. And this was competing with the old ways of Gaeldom and Gaeldom. And then, as you know from Sunday sessions, Gaeldom was really the culture of trees, Orm, early Breton laws, tribal councils, mediation, that type of thing. 
And as I was saying, um, as I explored last week, there's a picture I want to bring up for this. Um, let's see if I got it. Yeah, um, this is also with this Christian influence, Middle Eastern influence. It was sort of influenced away from a long-established tribal matri matriarchal earth womb-based culture. And it was drifting more towards a male-dominating and I showed this last week, the God in the sky, patriarchal culture. So it seems that monastic uh, women teachers like Attract Our Track were somehow trying to adapt to this new culture through preserving a strong women's position within this change. So the women at least could not lose their earth-based maternal connection with this new cultural change that was going on. The so-called Christian era seemed to organically form like our recent internet. And this is, this is why I'm aware of looking at it. You think of it, uh, today we regard the internet as mainly social media. And we're now witnessing social media actually trying to convert the internet into its rules, regulations, doctrines, and even censorship. Think of the recent fuss there's been about the control of uh, Facebook and WhatsApp uh, uh, and even Google. But during the 90s, if you were on the internet then, it was very much a free-for-all time, finding its legs and at that time inspiring its future commanders. So I see the early medieval time at the time of Bracassa and her daughter Bridget as a sort of finding Christianity finding its legs. It was just the scriptures. Um, but they, there was a sort of enforced connection to what we call Christianity being very much like that 90s internet. So that's the best example I can give. Now, some people, and this is a game where we tell stories according to what's going on at the moment, because some people, uh, when they're touring here, they ask me, when did Ireland convert from pagan to Christianity? And I reply, it never happened because Christianity here was built on a pagan foundation. And that pagan foundation is still very much alive here. And likewise, social media is built on an internet foundation. That root internet foundation will probably still be around if social media happened to fade away. And as we found since the Celtic Tiger, uh, when Ireland was strictly a Catholic country, the religion has broken down a bit. It's become a bit variable, but there's definitely that pagan foundation that people lean back on, the old traditions and so forth. And they realized that the religions were built on that. So there wasn't a conversion. Of course, the churches would love to believe there's a conversion. The social media would love to believe there's a conversion from the old internet ways, but it's not happening. So... It's long-winded, I know, and I thank you for holding on to this long introduction before I share the story of Breeder, our travels, and going on to Kiladara. But my intent here was to try and set the scene for you um, beyond the templated modern British stories that are told, and maybe what you base your understanding of Bridget on. So I hope this has helped you to visualize closer to the womb and seeds that St. Bridget was born from, and the state of the erring culture that she had entered into. Now, before the British story goes on and uh, I go into the travels, let's see what you're saying. Uh, I haven't had a, I've been blabbing for a long time 
and I haven't caught up with you. Let's see what's, uh, who's around. Uh, breaking up. Anybody else see that I'm breaking up? Am I breaking up? I know uh, the snow did interfere with the uh, system. Um, I hope you're hearing a bit more now. Greetings from Wexford. Uh, sorry I'm late. Don't worry, Kate, because you can watch the beginning here. I'm concerned about this breaking up. Uh, Marty says we're back again. Great. Thank you. Uh, Don, I remember Marie and Joe fondly. I'm glad you stayed with them. I'm glad someone did. Adrian, thanks for telling me about the breaking up. Uh, the signal, that is. And good morning. There's Sophie Wildman Garung. Looking forward to visiting Bridges Mound in Beckery outside Glastonbury for Imbol. Good point there because it's not only an Irish thing, it's uh, Scotland. I'm not going to go into the Scottish stuff today, but Scotland's got a lot of lovely stories. So has England, so has Wales, so has Brittany, so has Spain. I think we can go around the world with this, can't we? Uh, so that's, uh, I think I've caught up. Uh, yeah, I caught up with you all. So let's get to the meat and potatoes or the veggie. Uh, uh, veggies and rice of this. Um, so, Bridget, born 53 AD from the womb of Bracassa and fathered by uh, Duffer. Uh, but Duffer's wife, I don't know her name, was not very happy about that. And she wanted both Bracassa and her child to be out of the way, away from their homes and land. And Bracassa was apparently contracted out as a bondswoman to another Gaelic chieftain near Limerick. And Bridget was fostered by one of her aunts, a sister of Bracessa. So she returned by Loggara, and you hear that I mentioned. Now, there are some stories that tell Bracessa's contract being traded with a Gaelic chieftain or druidy type of person while she was still pregnant. So there might be, I talked about hostages earlier, there might have been a swap. And so there might have been a bonds person swap. Now, one common thread in the young Bridget stories is that she was quite a rebel, uh, but also very concerned, caring for the ill, the disabled, and the poor, had feelings of people that she greeted. And amongst her rebellionists are tales of her stealing all of the chieftain's butter. I don't know which one, probably both of them, and constantly giving it all away to the poor. Now, one reason why, as a young child, uh, she was sent back to her aunts because of all this mischief. She was given too much away. <laughs> now, get back to your aunts. Uh, they could sort you out. So she was back with them for fostering. Now, it's doubtful that Bridget was carrying the name of Bridget at this point. Uh, but here, the birth name seems to be unknown. And as I say, I'm going to leave you with a thoughtful clue to this towards the end of this session. Now, there were no birth registrations, as I mentioned, during the 5th century. So I'm going to continue to call a breeder, Bridget, for the simplicity. And you have a recognition of this name anyway. So Bridget from uh, a few years ago uh, attended the same um, education as her mother, uh, Atrak. Um, I presume learning skills, um, the same learning skills, hospitality, house care, growing crops and caring for cows and animals, and I think I've got a cow on there. There she goes. I don't know if that's the student. That's obviously an impression, artist impression, but that sets the scene, doesn't it? And by the time uh, the Bridget was in her early teens, she was also contracted to Dovetag. She went back to him at Ford as a bondswoman, like a mother, 
but also as his daughter. Now, I've seen mention of Dovtak's wife. I've, I've seen no mention of his wife actually being present at the time when Bridget went back. And there's a mystery there. Maybe under the growing patriarchal powers, he contracted his wife out as a bondswoman too. Just a guess. I don't know. But I've heard stories of uh, Dovtak having strong connection to Iona. We covered Iona a bit last week. There's, there's a reminder. And he traveled there sometimes, and he said, and he took Bridget with him as his servant, a bondswoman, as well as his daughter. And eventually, when uh, Breeder was older, Dovtak tried to arrange marriage of his bondswoman daughter. There was the dowry in place and all. And she was offered various chieftains, sons of chieftains. And uh, marriage at that time was a way of forming further alliances with another clan. Uh, so maybe the uh, Iona he was trying to arrange marriage to a chieftain on Iona. But Bridget rebelled uh, against her father's intentions. So the Christian church uh, described this as Bridget wanting to be a nun and be married to God. Um, okay, let's get my clicking correct, get my pictures back in line, because this is going to be fun. <laughs> uh, my own take on this is that Bridget wanted to preserve the ancient culture of the matriarchal connection and values as well within the escalating new culture of this patriarchal power that was growing. And she probably would have now found it hard to find a male suitor that would actually hold on to those same old Gaelic tribal ways because uh, there was an attraction to this new power, I suppose, amongst men. And Bridget needed to find more women feeling the same thing uh, to validate a cause. So there's a nice picture, uh, perhaps, with Bridget with a, a few women. Now, stories tell her of her leaving the fort with four other women some stories say it was six other women and uh yeah they're the sisters i should have showed this earlier uh yeah i i was getting my numbers mixed up some say six other women uh some say eight others so it's either five seven or nine women altogether wishing to find a space for community and uh so that they will be the flame keepers that travel together now it's told that uh duffer did not chase after her to bring her back to fort. And I hear, <laughs> I hear that this was because Bridget was still a nuisance, still stealing stuff from his household and handing it over to the poor. And it said that uh, Dovick went to visit the King of Leinster. And when they went, Bridget stole the King's best sword and she handed it to the uh, poor to trade for food. And there's a lovely little inscription of this. And in another story, it said that uh, Breeder, Bridget actually melted down that king's sword and forged two adze blades. I was going to get a picture of adze blades. I use them here. They're great for the garden. But uh, she forged them down, made them into adze blades. This is something she'd learned in her apprenticeship. And she used to cultivate the soil. And the Linster king then advised her, Dovetail, if Bridget ever wanted to leave, just let her go. So storytellers, uh, they tell of Breed and Bridget, the women, her sisters, calling them, we'll call them her sisters now, uh, traveling, living, and working to bring the inspiration, teaching, and ways of sharing the goddess Bridget and Breed through their own human form. 
Now, controversially, I interpret these women as wishing to sustain the ancient matriarchal culture of equality, community, respect to the womb, respect to the earth, respect to the earth womb and the goddess, because that's what provides the births uh, from this time of year that provides for us all. And this was the whole Gaelic culture that they were trying to preserve, more one of equality. And then I perhaps interpret the, the modern following of the Psalms and scriptures, uh, accepting that, uh, accepting this was now coming into the culture. But how do you translate that through a feminine goddess medium with understanding and respect? So perhaps their intent was a balance of sustaining honor and respect for the womb of the earth with the addition of this light god of the sky that was blessing all life and, and uh, rising into that. And of course, oh, I've covered this in Sunday sessions. It's just uh, the way things are when we grow things. We have this lovely network going on underground, all the roots and the fungi and the bacteria, they're all communicating, they're networking with each other in the dark. And then soon as it comes above the soil, it's going for the light. Boy, does that get competitive. Everything above the soil is fighting for that light. So every plant suddenly has got an ego. Uh, so there you have that balance, the yin-yang balance. I've talked about this a few times. Often I tend to wonder if it was these Brigadine women that named the earth goddess. Did they actually give her the name Breed or Bridget rather than they actually picking up the name Breeder and Bridget that um, storytellers tend to tell about. Uh, personally, I doubt there was a Breeder Bridget goddess name before them, even though Bridget appears in later medieval scribe to the Dunn stories. If you tell them uh, she's the daughter of Doida, of Dagda, wife of Braze, and she pops up several times in these old two of the Dunn stories. But these uh, two of the Dunn stories, they were scribed later, and like the Bible, translations kept changing. Anyway, I'm going to include a bit of the Tour de Don and Breed and Bridges stories next Sunday. Now, an earth goddess seems to have been honored by humans for at least 12,000 years and probably given different names by different tribes because there wasn't the mass communication around the country as it is now because we've got the internet, the post, the broadcasting. They have their tribal languages. Anyway, I'm going to move on with Bridge and Bridges women's story. As I said, this was going to be a long one. And then we're going to go off to Ardar in County Longford. Now, Bridges' Ardar connection is quite vague, and the stories of a time there follow some variables. And there's a profound one of some Mel of Ardar, abbot there of a time, and I think I've got some Ardar pictures for you. Uh, this is, uh, well, this Mel uh, is said to have ordained uh, Bridget with both the official veil, and there's an artist's impression. There he is, give, uh, handing out uh, the veil, uh, to be a nun, plus giving her a basal powers so that she could also call herself a bishop. Um, and I've semi-doubts about that, as it does seem that this sort of officialdom in the church was not really well established for at least 300 years later. But Patrick was getting around at the same time as Bridget, and he seemed to have established a sort of a beta form of church orders and positions. Now, there's one story of some Mel. I'm going to show you. There's some remains in Ardar of Mel's abode. Uh, and there it is, quite near the established church there, the 19th century church. I think this is a night of... There's the remains, kind of at the entrance. It's on uh, the edge of a cemetery. 
so there we have we got mel's place and uh <laughs> it seems that uh he was in hot water because um ordaining bridget uh to become a bishop and an uh, abbess as somehow he hadn't got the memo from patrick that no women were allowed to be awarded these no women could be bishops too late mel had already done it so for bridget carrying this abbess and bishop ordination it was very important for her and the sister women followers so they were able to operate within a now growing male dominating culture systems of equality seemed to be breaking down and this whole new culture and order was moving from mediation and equality and balance and rulings by circle courts into a form of justice and judgment and this was slowly taken over it took a few hundred years to take over uh, but there are stories of Patrick and Bridget coordinating together to create monasteries and promote monasteries and Christianity. But personally, I think with a lad with the name of Patrick, I find that hard to believe. And as various uh, stories, Ardar being the first site of the Brigadine, Brigadine Monastery for Women being established and the first of sev several. And uh, there's a bit of a well here. Um, I'll show you the well in a minute. There's another one that was said to be started up in Ballinalee, which is also in County Longford, but I know very little about that one. Now, Arda has several bridged references. And as I say, there is a lovely uh, broken down, and it's quite hidden, holy well. It's not easy to find there. Uh, that's what it looks like. There is a lovely well. The water's quite clean. And even here, Patrick has taken over from Bridget. <clears throat> because there's an annual community walk to this Bridges Well from the Ardar Village's uh, Breeders uh, Bridges Church. And this, were, uh, this walk would have been tomorrow on Bridges Day. But now they've moved it to Patrick's Day because too many people were saying the Bridges Day. Sorry, I'm losing my voice. The Bridges Day was too cold. So they moved it to St. Patrick's Day. Anyway, I'm going to move on uh, from Ardar on to Crowan Hill. There's Crown Hill, uh, you approach it, and you see the mound on the top, and it's got a trig point there. And uh, one of the Bridget um, women's stopovers is, I must mention the Crown Hill awfully, it's a fascinating place, and I've missed a, a lovely picture I wanted to show of this, it's disappeared. Um, uh, to, to get the feel of it, you've got to travel over a dirt road over that hill. And when you do, there's one feature on that dark road, is this Patrick's well. Um, there's a picture of the outside. It's quite a formal looking well, uh, because if you go into it, and this was apparently a Bridget's well, uh, originally a Bridget's well. Uh, it's been, <clears throat> sorry, it's been listed as that, but the Patrick name came along and took it over. It became a Patrick's well. And this has happened to several wells, the Bridget wells, uh, over the ages, and I'm going to cover this more next week. So be in tune next Sunday to get more on that. Now, Crowan Hill is also claiming to be Bridget's birthplace rather than fort. There's this plaque here. If you look to the bottom of that, it talks about that a bit. Um, <clears throat> various possible reasons why they're saying that, but uh, I'm, I'm really uh, using up uh, time very quickly, so I'm not going to go into explanations because I've got to go on to... Kildara, I'm going on to Kildare, we're going to race, I hope you've seen that little bit there. Uh, let's go on to the Kildara, and many people around the world, they consider 
Kildare as being the founding monastery. Uh, our Virginian stories are abundant. Uh, there's, there's, that's what it was when it was broken down. And stories abundant of British arrival here in Kildare, Kildare around 480 AD. Uh, this is what it looks like, the cathedral. They've rebuilt that. Isn't that a great job? Uh, terrific job there. And uh, by now it seems the Brigadine sisters have traveled and they founded monasteries for about 10 years before they got to Kildara. So that was really rapidly. You know, that was rapid how they set that up. Um, and uh, my own Kill story, uh, Kildare stories will be few and short now, as you can easily Google read and understand them. And uh, I'm talking of Kildara, so let's bring this up so you know what I'm talking about. There we go. The city of Oaks. So first of all, let's talk about the Bridget's cloak. She met the King of Leinster. And you probably uh, all got a lovely version of this, meeting the uh, King of Leinster. I'm lining up some pictures here. And um, this was on the Kura. It's a plain of Kildare. And she asked him for some land to build a monastery. I forget what the king's name is, but you can Google that too. And naturally, he said, oh, no. As Bridget did not have anything for a start, well, she was a woman, and she didn't have anything to trade with him that would be useful. So Bridget begged him to let her have some land just the size of her cloak. And the king, well, he laughed and said, okay, just going along with the fun. I think I can do that. So Bridget took off her cloak, and her brigadine sisters got hold of the corners stretched out, kept stretching the cloak, and it covered the, a huge amount of the cura. And I love this picture as a demonstration. That's a Bridget artist's impression of the Bridget's cloak. So there we are. And the chieftain, goodness me, he was so awed by this. He thought this was a miracle. How could he refuse a land request from Bridget when this sort of thing happened? And he, he said that he said, well, if your beliefs are like do that then. Well, I want some of those Christian larks too. So to celebrate the cloak, uh, there is a tradition uh, to place a mini cloak, a brat breed. Here's uh, one here, um, a brat breed. Let's get you up. Uh, there we go. Uh, there we go. British cloak, brat breed. Um, and uh, this is left outside on a window ledge on the eve of the Gregorian. This is the Gregorian Bridges Day. Uh, I always emphasize that out. Uh, this calendar we use today wasn't even around at Bridges' time. That's another thing to consider. Uh, so we're on 31st of uh, January today, all thanks to a Gregorian monk, uh, was it 15th century? I forget the date now. But the Bradbreed uh, is traditionally uh, for rural people, well, anyone uh, today is sort of uh, red. And there's a lovely one here uh, that was... Um, uh, oh, I'm trying to think whose photo that is. Um, Joe McGowan, Joe McGowan's photo. And I believe that's from Inish Murray. Dated from Inish Murray. Well, the woman there is from Inish Murray, one or the other way around anyway. Uh, thank you, Joe, for I'm using that uh, photo. And this is what people do. Uh, uh, as I say, it's commonly a red one. Uh, but it can be cream, uh, natural color, 
natural undyed linen or wool. And then this uh, this collects up, uh, the blackberry collects up the dew, and there will be a lot tonight, or the rain. And that's wrung out in a bowl, uh, and that water is bottled and contained and used for first aid and healing throughout the year. And uh, the reason they do that is because of the belief that the bridge passed by and blessed it. Now, oaks, let's move on to the Kildare Oaks, because we're talking about Kildara, uh, place of oaks, uh, city of oaks. And this is my favorite breeder subject, as it seems to be where breeder around a name. And for a start, uh, Kildara, Kildare, as I say, Church of the Oaks. And whether it was a circle of oaks um, on the land that Bridget obtained, or whether the Brigadines planted oak trees is not clear. But uh, there must have been an established big oak for this story to establish. The thing with oaks is they, they attract lightning more than any other tree. There's no quid lightning that's been hit. And an oak struck with lightning smoulders for a long time. So it's a gift of fire, a, an incredible gift that can be harvested by people through a longer time than any other tree that struck with lightning. The oak embers can be taken home to fire up a hearth without burning away. So they can be moved. And what I didn't tell in our dark story that apparently Bridget and the sisters went around with turf and smoldering wood around to the people there. Anyway, I'll move on. My guessing is, is that uh, Bridget uh, appearing at, and, uh, at a nearby oak tree and it was getting struck with lightning. And so Bridget's first hospitality task was to distribute the smoldering wood to the local people uh, for their hearths. And I think that's a nice symbolism uh, for that. So they could have indeed called her Brianna Syed, shortened to Bridget, so her name was born and branded as the Fiery Arrow. And from there came the folklore of keeping the internal flame alight. And uh, there's an eternal flame here. Uh, there we go. <laughs> that's what, uh, going back to the cross. That's a Bridget's and uh, making crosses and dolls. And uh, it's, the story says that the 19 sisters were each eternal light carers for a day. And on the 20th day, uh, Bridget was the light carer. And the interesting thing is there was 20 of them. But for some reason, the stories do not like quoting the 20. They like to tell it as 19 sisters one a day, and Bridget on the 20th day. So I wish I had more time to speak about the half, but uh, I may add a bit next Sunday, but um, I'm going to put all this into the Patreon course for the subscribers. Now I'm going to talk with uh, focus about the Bridges Wells and Water next Sunday, but let's give you a little bit of a flash of some wells. Uh, that's the Wayside Well, and there's uh, a little bit. Oh, that's uh, that one there's the heart shape. Well, there's been some work. We're going to have a guest next week. Uh, Sarah, if you uh, hear Sarah, uh, is going to be talking about that. And there's some wonderful stories. That's below Yushna. And then there's this one outside Mullingar, which is quite pretty. And it's by a fish farm. And you hear the water from the fish farm, and you think it's coming from the well. And I'm always in wonder about Bridget and the sisters' first monetary. Did it actually start? as a, a grove of oaks. And another story I've heard was Bridget actually settled back into a bondswoman role to, for a chieftain in the Kura. This was after the travels with her sisters. Some reason didn't work out. This is another story. 
But there was an established men's monastery that become evacuated and was dormant. So she went to investigate these empty premises um, and uh, to see if she could revive the flame there. And there was lightning that struck an oak tree. Here's a couple more lightning things. Wow, boom, lightning on the oak tree. And the oak tree there, and they set it on fire. And the local chieftain was so impressed with this, uh, he released her from being a bondswoman to allow her to establish a monastery uh, for women in a dormant monastery. There's an old picture here. And uh, she also assigned a section as a scriptorium for men. And I'll try and find a bit of time to explain that a bit later. So if this story is true, then that sort of throws out the King and Bridges cloak story. But there's a similar cloak story when Columkeel sailed from Derry to the Hebrides on to Iona, and he called in to Tory Island. And on the way, he performed the same cloak trick for the King of Tory. And uh, Hebrides also named after Breathe, that's another thing. But So there is the cloak story on Tory. And uh, of course, the entire Tory Island became instant Christians guided by the monks of Columkeel. But for now, I'm very, un uh, as I said, we're going to be for a while. It's time at last for our first guest, uh, a lovely guest this afternoon, uh, Claire Rhodes. Let's bring uh, the lovely Claire up. There you go. Uh, let's get my headphones on, Claire. Hello. I hope I haven't kept you too long. Uh, it's, it's quite a story. That, right, I've got my earplugs in. Uh, good afternoon, Claire. How are you doing there? She's in Dublin now. I'm top Can you hear me? I can hear uh, you. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah. Everything is great, and you're looking great. And uh, right now, Claire, uh, you might some of you have heard Claire do this, but it's lovely that she can actually perform live. And look at that, she's exactly in the mood for this. So, I'm gonna let you over to Claire, she's going to introduce her into a song for Bridget. Uh, fire away, Claire. Uh, thank you very much, and hello to everybody. And certainly, today uh, reflects the words in the song. Uh, sharp and hard as winter, bitter, cold and dark, because I'm afraid that's what it is today, but still very beautiful. Um, I won't delay you too long because I know there are other guests, but um, I, I just loved the whole presentation, John. Thank you. And of course, when people come to see the story in the landscape in, in Karakrori, um, uh, they're always struck by by the the humility and the gentleness of John. There's no bombast there, and of course the women love him. So, um, but on the first of February every year in the, in the school down the road, uh, we would sing this. And really, it was only when I met John that I realised there wasn't just one Bridget. There were many Bridgets. So I learned a lot and. Uh, but I love this and I hope you like it. The translation is, I sing praise to Bridget, daughter of Ireland, daughter of every land. All our people praise her. And the next verse, shining torch of Leinster, shining through the land, head of all of Irish youth and head of gentle women. And the last verse, sharp and hard as winter bitter, cold and dark. But on Bridget's day, spring is come to Erin. 
incredible uh, uh beautifully done as i say uh, there was uh kate was saying she got goosebumps and there was a lot of people uh, appreciated that that was uh, stunning uh even though it was broken up a bit it we still got the essence of the beauty perfect to the day and you look so incredible uh with that uh, so thank you for that thank you so much everybody and thank you john 
and uh, yeah thank you uh sometime we'll get you for a longer thing we, we, we don't we don't get you on enough uh but we will uh anyway gotta move on uh, more of the bridget we got uh, the lovely bear coming up very shortly i won't be holding you up for uh much longer now bear we're almost on to you so thank you again kelly that was uh beautiful uh many thanks uh okay so to move on uh better start talking about the three crafts of bridget i'm going to briefly go through these this trinity of crafts of uh, bridget um there's a few comments coming up uh the uh absolutely gorgeous music and there's some love things here uh, uh beautiful from julian thank you for all the comments and uh, that's very kind of you uh, claire was absolutely brilliant marvelous uh couldn't be better with that and that's one of the nicest versions i've heard for uh do that song terrific and i better get these headphones out because they're a bit of a nuisance <laughs> anyway briefly go through the three crafts of uh bridget um smithcraft let's go on to the smithcraft now here's a nice medieval depiction of smithcraft medieval smithcraft by women there and i wish i could spend more time on the tradition because i find this fascinating uh so for that fascinating in folklore and mythology the main symbolism here is the fire of course and the hearth and along with that the tempering with the aid of water to form the metal now our next guest mayor has a great story that's themed on this i'm really looking forward to this also uh, fascinating to me is the ancient tradition of women being uh, the fire keepers um and uh, so they were the smiths and they were able to in their apprenticeship they learned how to extract metals from ore and they slowly created swords and this was they seemed to go on right through from bronze age time uh they would make sword as a dowry for their future mate and in the bridges center the kildara um in kildare there is a sword uh that's there by the brigadine sisters uh, i think it's to symbolize that anyway but they made this for their future mate and ore extraction and smithing originally was taught by two daughters by the mothers and uh but in bridges time this was taught by the wise women teachers at the schools that they went to and during the early to later medieval times it seemed that smithing became fully passed on to the men uh, so that was symbolic of the prowess and stamina men took it on because being a blacksmith seemed to enable them a good symbolism of prowess stamina masculinity as well as placing them into a power position because they became celebrants of marriages and other rites of passage as well so i wonder if the bridge's story is symbolic of the preservation of women fire forge and the tempering combination mayor i think is going to really answer that a little bit later so um healing that's the uh that's the uh the next one and it seems as if uh uh bridging healing is put in the same sentence then the next sentence includes hanging bridges crosses uh no time to go into the crosses today as i mentioned i'm going to try to feature them next sunday uh and, and here's some made up here and here we are this is a shannon's part where people uh did a, a kind of blessing ceremony there but hope growing, preparing, and use bound to be part of it, and in, and inclusion in their education. 
But it's unknown of any use of Bridget of laying of hands, dowsing, Reiki related healing, that kind of stuff. But there are a few stories of her presence and her touch being healing as well. So on to the third one, and I love this one too, poetry. Now poetry is intriguing because with the stories I've heard about Bridget, she was a very fluid oral poet. And some say that during her time, people did not speak in the near monotone. I'm talking in a sort of monotone uh, tone. And this is how we talk today. We, we sing and that, and we talk. But in those days, it said in the up to the early medieval at least, everything was uh, sung along. And perhaps that's why they do it in mass. I don't, uh, I'm not quite on the singing just now. But it said that Bridget assigned the scripted archiving of poetry actually to the work of men. And she provided scriptorians for men scribes to work in so they could craft and archive her poetry, her sister's poetry, the women's poetry. And there are stories of beautiful books being created by these scribes, uh, that were scribes of Bridget, but nobody ever seems to have seen them, not recently anyway. They're probably buried in a bog somewhere, and they're going to yet be discovered when the time is right. Now, there was a book of Kildare, and it seemed to have uh, been seen by a lad called uh, Geraldus of Wales, who was visiting, and he described the book, the pages of the book of Kildare, as being put together by angels and was impossible to be put together by human beings. And uh, so there's a sort of, uh, I, there's an old interpretation of, uh, that is actually of a British scribe, I can't remember who picked that up, but that is actually, uh, that illustration is actually listed as um, a scribe writing the book of Kildare. And there seems to be a huge misunderstanding about medieval scribes. Let's give you another scribey uh, one. I showed this last week. I love this one too. The thing about scribes, they were not historians. They were script writers. They were actually writing under the duress of their patrons, usually the patrons being abbots. And they would command scribing according to their own specific agendas. So sadly, and I get a lot of storytellers come and get onto me. Uh, they regard what I tell as not being authentic because I'm not following what was scribed in those ancient books. But to me, those books have been through translations too, just like the Bible has. So changes have been made according to the controlling agendas of the way. And a lot of the times when people say something is authentic, they're talking about how it's been for the last 200 years, not back to the... Uh, nearly 2,000 years. So it seems the job of these medieval scribes was to listen to local stories and then somehow match them up to the miracles that they read in the Holy Land scriptures. I imagine this was done to help local people relate to the scriptures if they could recognize situations in their own inherited native stories, apply them to the scriptures, then somehow they'd be kind of bring favor to them. They'd be converted, as they say. So that was, were the scriptures an instrument of conversion to the eventual Christianity? Maybe. But I would suspect it's a bit more, bit more like putting fear into the stories. Those Middle Eastern scriptures, uh, when we read them, and especially the way that ministers and priests say them, they add a lot of fear into them to perk them up, don't they? 
And I, I think they put this fear into the scriptures to justify the new concept of sin, went into that last week. Uh, let's give an example. Water to wine, the water to wine miracle, that's the one of my favorites. Water from the holy wells, as you may be familiar with, if you go around the wells, the water starts getting bitter towards um, end of July, August. Uh, so to sweeten that up, uh, people would add juice of berries. The bilberries are uh, ready then and, and raspberries. So they're available. So you could take this bitter holy well water, put the berries into them, maybe add some bog cotton tea or another tonic herb, maybe some John's water and a gribbity mixed together, make it as a tea, add that into your berries and the holy water. Flash! There you go. You've got your water to wine. But according to the scriptures, it, that wasn't the story. It, it was a miracle. Anyway, cattle. Let's go on to cattle. In addition to the three crafts, Bridget, I should mention, uh, and you're probably familiar, she has an association with cattle. And as part of putting out the brat breed on um, Bridget's Day Eve, people also put out a glass of milk for breeder passing with her cattle. Uh, and it's a kind of a gratitude uh, thank you. Um, and there's a nice illustration. Breeder and a cow. <laughs> so she went around with two cows. And I forget their names. I think one was Fair, F-A-E-R. I think that was the name of one of them. But I forget the other one. It was a longer name. But anyway, these two cows going around. It's almost like Santa, isn't it? But she was blessing people who put out the brat breed and the milk. And the blessing may be... Uh, there was a blessing that was spoken, or it might have been written and left out uh, with the uh, with the milk and the brat bead. And let's see if I can get it. I'm going to try and get it up. Dear St. Bridget of the kind, bless these little fields of mine, the pastures and the shady trees. Bless the butter and the cheese. Bless the cows with coats of silk and the brimming pails of milk. Bless the hedgerows. And I pray, bless the seeds beneath the clay. Bless the hay, bless the grass, bless the seasons as they pass. And heaven's blessings will prevail from Bridget Mary of the Gale. So there you go. Um, there's also a pouring of the milk on stone uh, tradition that I mentioned during the labyrinthing session. I may bring that back up next Sunday. Brewing, that's another thing. Brewing of ale. Cider and wines also associated with both St. Bridget and the goddess Bridget. But I may say more about that next Sunday. But of course, there is there's the Bridget Dale, and, and of course, that's definitely a bar form of Bridget uh, that's put there. Anyway, the date's unknown about that. Uh, that's it. Now, um, there's also an ale based uh, one. Let's try this one now. I should welcome the poor to my feast. For they are God's children. I should welcome the sick to my feast. For they are God's joy. Let the poor sit with Jesus at the highest place. And the sick dance with the angels. God bless the poor. God bless the sick. God bless our human race. God bless our food. God bless our drink. All homes embrace. Now, midway three and motherhood. And Bridges Association with... This is... Springtime, spring birth, and uh, so we've got to bring in the midwifery, and there's uh, there she is uh, with the baby there, and guidance uh, in through early motherhood, and for women who mated at uh, Beltany, uh, the traditions 
And they mounted through the Belvenie traditions the year before. This is when they would become mothers. And this is a time when the whooper swans had arrived in Ireland around Sawan and now starting to leave to return to Iceland and Greenland. They're going back north. And uh, I haven't got a whooper swan one that's appropriate, but uh, you'll, uh, I got a regular swan from an artist. I'll try and get a whooper swan next year. But there you go. There's the impression with a swan there. And there are tales that these uh, swans are here through a call of Bridget to bring calm and safety through the last months of pregnancy, through the winter, and then they leave when the babies are born. And stories told to me uh, are that when the scribing got underway, reverence for Bridget had to be toned down. Within the new Christian culture, it was now all about Mary. Now the scriptures have become vogue, of course. Now one way around this seems to be called Mary, uh, called Bridget Mary of the Gale. But some land abbots were not very happy about that. But there's an imagery of uh, how we see Bridget and there's Mary of the Gale. Um, uh, some of the snobby uh, abbots, they didn't like it. So it seemed to become accepted to revere Bridget as the midwife that's present at birth, even present at the birth of Jesus, but not to announce or rejoice her as the earth or godmother. Take away that. They took away that connection. Sad. And it seems before the Christian culture came along, a woman would be present at births anyway as a midwife, there to be at the birth, to be guided and blessed by the earth goddess. So it's not sure if Breed's name was actually bantered then, as I've talked about before. Finally, the, uh, the white bride, white bride's dress. Uh, I, um, there's part of, it's a strong part of the bride British tradition. Well, she's called a bride, isn't she? And this is strongly related to the snowdrops. And, and of course, they're coming out now. They are out and they're flowering at this time. So this is somewhat reflected in the Bridget's cross making and especially the Bridget's doll. And there used to be a tradition that only young women who never had, who've never given birth to a child could make these. That was the tradition, very strong in Scotland uh, when I was there. Anyway, there's an ancient definition of virginity, and uh, it's nothing to do with anatomy. Um, this was a Christian thing that came about. For example, a Virgin Mary is likely to be a description of her not having previous children before Christ came along. But the patriarchal obsession with sin and warped sanitized vision of purity and obedience seems to have changed the definition of virginity to something very different. Finally, the death of Bridges. Uh, that's got stories too, but there's a sinister story of a skull traveling to Portugal, but you can Google that one. Um, I'm not going to go into that more. But what I will share, though, is that after Bridges' death in 521 AD, 40 years of being a Kildare, her abbot's successor was Darlugaduk, or Darluduk, or Darluda. Son, uh, no, sorry, daughter of Lou. Now, Daluda promoted reverence of Lou and the son over Jesus and the son of God. Now, Daluda, she was killed a year later, and the followers of Patrick took over the Brigadine monasteries, and they then entered into the patriarchal Christian regime and slowly became molded towards the Rome ideal that happened. It took 600 years. So, Daluda is a mystery as she appears in some of the breeder tales, all of them in her travels, 
as if she was a constant companion. And the two even are told to be, they shared the bed together. So what I ask, and I'll get the spellings up here. This is uh, what I ask from these tales. Uh, is, uh, is, is Da Ludo, or even called Da uh, Dawak, the daughter of Dawak, and was Bridget actually named Da Dawak or Da Luda before the Flaming Oak miracle happened in Kildara that branded her the Bridget's name? So that's what I was talking to you about. Uh, to conclude this long tale, conversion to Christianity was slow. Uh, it took several hundred years um, after Bridget was born and certainly out of a tradition um, and tradition being suppressed. Uh, the British tradition did continue into the hearts of most people and they celebrated each birth each spring just as we're doing now and I'm trying to get some nice pictures up for you. Um, quietly celebrated somewhere often by natural water this is by the Shannon Park where we got together once uh, or uh, the flame of the hearth or even both and there's uh, there we have with the triple comments now before I bring on bear let's uh, have another quick flash at what you're saying so far um, there's uh, curious what would the cause a water turned bitter in July. Yeah, I don't it's to do with the rains. For some reason, though there's water in July, we have a kind of a drought time, May and June, and that seems to take a while to get into the wells. If you go around Holy Wells, uh, a good one is the uh, Tourist 7 uh, up in Glen Columkeel. You go up to number 7, which is a lovely well. It's a cairn well. It's dry in July and August. And other wells, you'll find they're very low. If you take the water, it's very, it's just lack of water. The most water there's going to be is now. Uh, it's, it's funny, uh, middle of January here, we go into a bit of a mild spell and as January kind of goes on, the average temperature gets colder and colder. And if you looked at my weather forecast, you'll see several years before now, it's snow. We often have snow on this day. And that snow melts, it goes through the swallow holes, goes down on the ground, comes up through the well. So February is a very abundant time for wells. Now I'm gonna go into this next week, really. Uh, so that's a little bit of an introduction um, uh, on that. And uh, nice to see you, Robin, anyway, brilliant. Uh, lots to watch at the start. Good morning from Southeast Texas, there she is. Uh, that was so amazing. Thank you, arrangement. There we go. Sophie wants to know from Claire uh, the arrangement. Uh, um, Claire will be messaging, so uh, we'll try and get that to you somehow. Uh, thank you for your compliment there. Now, here we go. Now, Bea, thank you for your patience in hanging on there. Uh, Bea Salmon Hawker gathers from France, lives in Waterford. And she takes a storytelling around the world. And Bea speaks various languages. 
and she nicely was nicely settled as an art therapist in London, but she came to Ireland as a Brexit refugee. So Bayer's now equal, eager to be anywhere in Ireland to tell a story, subject to the COVID right now, of course, but this is how she earns a living. This is what she's dedicated to. So it's a pleasure uh, to have uh, Bayer join us, and I'll get these funny earplugs in so I can actually see say hello properly hello <laughs> right here she is she's all set to go patiently waiting and there we go hello bear hello, uh, ah lovely to see you thank you lovely for joining hello and, and uh, yeah carry on right now i just do you want me to start of get on with it what do you want me to do uh, is that okay or do you want to say something else well just that uh you were telling me that this is uh and the reason i've got you at the end is from what you're saying, this is going to be a lovely link from all I've been saying about Bridget. And we're going on to the goddess, the water bearer next week. And how you described your story seems to be a lovely uh, sort of interlude or tra uh, transition between the two. So thank you uh, for joining. And I will uh, let you get on with the story to start with. Oh, uh, first of all, the question is, how we, uh, I've been listening to your stories uh Oh. On the uh, oh, I'm trying to think of the name of the group now. <laughs> uh, gone brain end on it. The new normal, absolutely brilliant. So I'm so thrilled to get you. So let's get you on with the story. Uh, I've been looking forward to this for days. <laughs> so here we go uh, with Bea, <laughs> and you. let's get you on to full focus. Why are you not there? There you go. Hello, hello everyone. My name is Bea Salmon Hawk. I'm Bea, the storyteller. And uh, I tell stories about pan-Celtic stories, fairy tales for adults. I don't really tell many stories for children. I'm also a priestess of the goddess Ellen in the Fellowship of Isis. So I work very much with the land and it's taken me, it takes me, well, I don't know, I've been doing this for about 30 years. So I thought I would share with you my idea about what Imbolc is about and that will lead you into looking at what we're going to look at next week. Uh, because Imbolc is a festival that is rather mysterious and uh, there's not that much evidence um, that it existed. I have a quick story, a very quick story about Bridget of Kildare um, that I want to tell you because for me, and that's the way I tell it, for me it's, it really symbolizes what she was like, but also what the, um, the goddess that she may or may not be linked to uh, was like. And it is the story of Bridget and the cow. And it happened not very far away from where I live because I live in a village, little village near Waterford called Glenmore. And next to me, there's a township and the township is called Kilbride, which means the people of Bride. So I am quite sure she came there. And the story was told to me by somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody who had seen the very woman herself. Because you see, once upon a time near Waterford, there was a leper's colony. And there was a woman who had heard that Bridget of Kildare was visiting Kilbride and she had cows to give away. Imagine if you live in a colony food full of lepers and you own a cow. It would be amazing. So the woman, she walked all the way from Waterford. She crossed the river and then she came to Kilbride. And by the time she got there, it was dark. And she knocked on the door that she knew Bridget was staying at. 
And Bridget opened the door and Bridget was so tired. She'd had the whole day talking to people, preaching, counseling. And she just opened the door and she's like, oh no, God, what? In her head, what now another woman? And the woman, the leper said, where's my cow? And Bridget was like, what cow? And the, and the leper woman said, well, the cow, you promised everybody a cow, I've come for my cow. And Bridget just, just thought, what? I don't have cows to give away. Who started this story? I'm sorry, she said to the woman, come in, you're obviously very tired and you're looking damp and wet. Come in, come in, but I don't have any cows. And the woman, she wept and she was distraught. And, and Bridget said, well, I could heal you. And the leper woman recoiled with horror. Heal me, heal me. I don't want to be healed. I just wanted a cow. And Bridget said, no, but seriously, I could heal you. And then you could, you could be better. And then you could leave the colony. And then you could get a job. And then you could get married. Ah, said the leper, get married, have children, become a beast of burden. That's not happening, she said. And Bridget, who was a good woman, and learnt that it was really important to listen to what people said, realise what she'd done. And she apologised. She said, I'm sorry. I understand that it was very presumptuous of me to think that you wanted to be healed. I understand this is our community. This is your way of life. I understand. And that is the end of that story. Although it is said that eventually the leper woman did get healed and she did join the women of Bridget and she didn't get married or anything foolish like that. But I think it's a good example, that story, which doesn't very often get told and may or may not have happened up the road from me in Kilbride. But this is a good story to explain what, what Bridget was like. She was immensely practical, which is why what I do on, on, on the eve of milk, and I've done that this morning, uh, which is the end of Samhain, by the way, is I clean my house from top to bottom. I scrub the front step and the back step, and uh, I give a blessing to say farewell. Farewell, thank God, you're off to the season of Samhain. <laughs> and then I, tomorrow morning, I will salt my step because that's how I protect my land and my house. Um, and I will say a blessing. I'll, I will ask a blessing of Bridget because we need inbox tomorrow. And uh, it, it took me a long time because I ponder these things. I'm a priestess. I try to understand because the knowledge is lost. There's no way to kid ourselves that we know. We know we can. We you know we know how to do these things. We don't. It's a long time ago. And Bridget is the goddess of the wells, but she's also the goddess of the forge. And I can't like, what a how? You know, water, fire, cancel each other out. Don't come to me with the piston and, and the steam engine. That wasn't invented then, it doesn't count. So water, fire. How do you be both? How can you be the goddess of water and the goddess of fire at the same time? And then I got to thinking, I got to thinking, I thought, I thought of the sword and the stone. Remember the sword and the stone, the story of Arthur, who gets the sword inside the stone and pulls it out? And then I got to thinking, what happens in a forge? Well, you forge your sword, don't you? But there it is, useless. Until, until you have the courage to plunge it in water. And then, two 
things. One of two things will happen. One is the sword will solidify and become this beautiful instrument. Alas, two. If you've got it wrong, if there's an, an impurity in the metal, your sword will explode. The good news is you will get to do it again because you can put the metal back into the forge and start again. But it will have to pass the test. And I thought to myself, maybe, maybe that's what this is about. It's about this process of temperance. The one we very rarely dare to do. We dream. We dream the dreams of fire. We create things and we never temper them because we don't dare to allow them to break if they're wrong. Because isn't that the way we should be learning? She was an apprentice. She was a bondswoman. How do you get to be an apprentice? You have to learn to do it wrong until you know how to do it right. And at this time of year, when we are at the very tail end of summer, of winter, and yet the worst is yet to come, lads, because we have the whole of February and really most of March to sit and hope and pray and tidy our seed trays and possibly cheat our potatoes and generally really, really bind our time. Isn't this the right time for us to start thinking of what needs tempering in our lives? Not jumping around, creating, creating, creating like we want to. It isn't spring yet, except the term. So I'm going to invite you to mull it over if you want to. And maybe you can talk about <laughs> it next week. But have a think. What needs tempering in your life? What will you dare to plunge in that water and risk that it will explode? Oh, it will be fine. Go on, I dare you. And this is me, Bea the Storyteller, signing off. Blessed be. Ah. Oh, absolutely brilliant. That's absolute perfection to bring the two together. Oh, thank you so much for that. That's a great applause. <laughs> uh, I love the story after the story because it really, it wrapped everything up that I was trying to communicate there. There you did it in a couple of minutes, brought it all together. Absolutely beautiful. And uh, a couple of things you brought up, the kill bride, when anybody sees bride in the name, especially with the kill, the church, the city, uh, uh, there must have been the circuit. That's, you know, Bridget could well have settled there or her sisters settled there. I love that. And I love the way you say about this being the end of Sawan because a lot of people, uh, we've talked about this in the last couple of days, a lot of people they say about Sawan being the start of a Celtic New Year. And to me, that's going into like the Christian thing. It's like the Christian thing brought in the beginning and the end, the starts, the finishes. And people think they've got to be a linear. People seem to think we've got to live. No, it's all spirals and circles. This is the quiet phrase. And I love the one um, that you're saying about stay quiet because especially with gardeners, they've got their seeds. They're eager to get out there. And one of the reasons I don't have a polytunnel other than the plastic and so Absolutely. forth is that 
you know, people want to get those veggies up as quickly as possible. And myself, I'm still lazing around and contemplating. And uh, they say put the potatoes in at St. Patrick's Day. No, I wait until April. Give it patience because the funny thing is, if you start planting things now, they're only going to be ready about a day or two before the ones you're putting in. So that, I loved your advice on that. So thanks, Bayer. Uh, that was absolutely terrific. I look forward to when we can get you again. People have been absolutely adoring what you're saying, and uh, there's a few thank yous going on. And uh, wonderful, there's all kinds of stuff, magical storytelling. There we go. Oh, and it's all coming in now. Uh, snowing here. Uh, sorry to miss the story. Well, just just play it back. It's all going to be there uh, in the archive. Uh, thank you, Bea. And there's. Uh, oh, and if people want to know about if you if people yes, want to hear my stories, my yeah, put those in the I work on Facebook, so my Facebook page is basically what's underneath my name, Bea the storyteller. So if you just look on Facebook for Bayer the Storyteller, then you will find me and I just tell stories on my page. Absolutely wonderful. Uh, and we're, we're definitely going to hear from you again if you, you. If you accept the invitation. You. I, uh, uh, I really enjoyed that and a lot of people here I know will have Thank uh, you for having that. me, John. So thank you again. Thank and you. we'll do the closing stuff now. Uh, fabulous. Thanks again. And <laughs> thanks. Oh, wasn't that amazing? Anyway, um, thank you all for your support here to uh, enable to continue these projects so we can have pay and stuff like that. Thank you for you being subscribers. Uh, let's tell you what's coming up. Obviously, next week, I've talked about it a lot. Uh, let's get to the pictures here. I've got some pictures. It's next week, and I'll get the, this thing out of my ear now. Uh, <laughs> we've got the inbuilt traditions, uh, bring the snowdrops up again. And that's going to be very water-based, as I said. And I'm actually not going to be doing much talking, I think, next week. A little bit of introduction. We've got various guests lined up, uh, so that's going to be quite a variety show. So I'm looking forward to that. And then on the 14th of February, Water Dragons, Serpents and Snakes, going back into the folklore. This was actually at Hazelwood, the wooden serpent there. That was actually in the water for a while, and then ended up coming ashore. And then uh, 21st of uh, February, we're going to have guests for that. Uh, dowsing. It's going to be dowsing on um, there. That's going to be the 21st. So, um, so as I expected, due to seriously running overtime, uh, I'm going to post a link to online Bridges festivals this week. I won't be able to bring the pages up. Uh, is there any uh, more? Yeah, there's one or two comments from you coming up. Let's see what you've got to say here. Uh, Claire Roach, uh, she's, she loved it. They had such a treat from Claire. It was, wasn't it? So, um, but thank you again to Salmon, uh, Bayer Salmon Hawk. Um, and stunning, and oh, what's, we've still got something, another treat for you coming up. Uh, this is a stunning, enchanting video from Evelyn Borton that's coming up very shortly. And I would like to ask, keep commenting uh, for those of you who, who came in late, who are going to watch the archive, and, and people who are going to come along in this evening and watch this uh, as an archive. So please subscribe and click the bell icons both on YouTube and I think Facebook has this now. And it reminds you of the details of the next Sunday sessions. So thank you all.
Enjoy a safe week full of wonder, inspirations, enchantments. Enjoy this stunning closing voice video by Evelyn Borden uh, for, for it. Um, she's actually singing this uh, from the Ford Center. So until next uh, Sunday, play well. And that's it from me. Uh, bye.